0: something that I have come to notice as a warning sign for me. If my anxiety is bubbling away in the background but I'm still managing to get things done and I'm still relatively happy with the content I'm producing in my work and the relationships that I have in my personal life, then for me that's something I can accept. At the point where I start to feel like I can't move forward, I know that's when I need to start worrying about myself. My family refer to it as my ostrich moment, where I stick my head in the sand and Mm -hmm. isolate myself for a period of time. And I now have a very strong group of people around me who notice when I am going into an ostrich moment and will help pull me out of it because I don't always notice that I'm doing it myself. But it's really important for me for them to go, actually, do you know what? I haven't heard from you. You've been a little bit isolated. Is everything okay? I just I'd check in. Do you want a coffee? Just to call me out of my shell a little bit. And the moment I start talking about things and I start, again, to use your word, accepting where I am, I feel much more positive about things and I can start to move forward.
1: Hello there and welcome to Mental Health at Work, the podcast where company leaders and employees reveal the mental health stories that shaped how they think about work and themselves. This week, we've got Hannah Gibson, People Operations Lead at Flatfair, Who shares how career change revived her from burnout, why her anxiety could be her greatest strength and how therapy has helped her look out for others. This podcast is brought to you by Oliver, proper mental health support for the whole team.
2: Hi Hannah. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very good. Welcome to Mental Health at Work podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. How are you doing today?
0: I'm good, thank you. I'm just coming out the other side of being off with the dreaded COVID for a week and starting to get back into the swing of things. So it's really nice to be back at work.
2: How are you emotionally feeling after being out, coming back? Still, I can feel your nose a bit. Like Absolutely,
0: yes. I'm a little bit bunged up. Do you know what's interesting? I can't remember the last time I had to take a full week off work unwell. It's been a very long time. And so it's actually nice knowing that I've come back and there's been no disasters. And we've managed to keep everything running and pick up a week later, which is a really nice feeling.
2: I hope you're feeling even better soon. Hannah, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, what you're doing in your role,
0: So right now I am the people operations lead for Flatfair. We are a tenancy deposit alternative. We're a small team, so we're just less than 30 people distributed across the UK and Europe. My path to people operations lead has been a little bit circuitous and a a little bit based on luck and spontaneous decisions. I started in the dark side of agency sales recruitment, not really knowing what that was when I first landed there and quickly realised that while I could be good at it, it wasn't something that was going to fill me with joy and managed to navigate my career into an in-house recruitment role. Um, and I started with Eurostar and then I went to go and work for a massive civil and structural engineering firm. I did some time at AIG and Really thought that that was a very traditional career path and hadn't really thought much of it, but got to AIG in about 2015 and started to realise that actually it wasn't very good for my well-being being in those environments and I had a very difficult time towards the end of my corporate career and decided to walk away from it all for a couple of years. So actually took a career break and went backpacking around the world. And just before I left, I needed something to keep me busy for six months. And a friend recommended a short-term contracting role at a tech startup. And that was it. I was hooked.
2: I'm so pleased to hear that you actually found the place where you feel that you belong. You were saying that you felt like that environment, more corporate, wasn't good for your Mm -hmm. mental health. How was that impacting your mental health?
0: I think when I... First started in my career I had certain expectations of what being successful looked like mm-hmm. and certainly expectations of a woman being successful in a corporate environment and I put quite a lot of pressure on myself to uphold those values I am a staunch feminist and felt like I always had to be pushing boundaries and doing more because I was representing my gender at work always held myself to high standards and felt like there was an expectation to be a certain type of person, to act in a certain way, and really a quite sterilised way. I didn't bring much of my authentic self to work. You're part of this big machine, and you are expected to adapt to that machine. And what I realised over time is that I wasn't being honest with myself about how I was feeling. That was impacting my performance at work. That was impacting my relationships at work. And the fact that I wasn't talking about it just made me spiral and really the only way for me to get out of that was to reset. Now working in smaller businesses I've realized how much easier it is for me to bring my authentic self Mm. to not have to be shaping myself to those corporate expectations and norms that work for some people but don't work for me and that there's so much more scope for me to build a role and build a team and build an environment that's right for me doing what I'm doing now.
2: I find it so curious that in a corporate environment where, yes, it's demanding, but at the same time, it's like you cannot bring your whole self to work. It's almost like you need to dissociate in order to have one professional me and the other part of me. And then you have a startup world where it's super demanding, ever-changing. So it it feels like it's more intense in terms of rhythm, but at the same time, because it allows you to bring your whole self, it's a better environment to thrive in.
0: I also think it's because there's almost this expectation that you go into a startup and there's an acknowledgement that it's intense. And therefore, admitting that doesn't feel like the same kind of failure as it would in a corporate environment. I've been very lucky and I've worked with a lot of very strong female role models in leadership roles, but I saw them having to push down their personality, push down challenges, push the needs of their family even down in order to be successful. And that influenced quite strongly how I approached my own kind of well-being at work Whereas now in a startup, it's okay to get emotional about something because startup is all about passion and it's all about us living heart and soul in something. It's actually almost a positive rather than a negative. And that that allows me to bring that side of myself because I am a very emotional, very changeable personality. And that's seen as a positive here so I can bring that openly.
2: I guess being accepted the way you are it brings you more motivation to do your job, and it's it it's an environment where you feel more comfortable,
0: yeah some of it also comes with age and knowing yourself a little bit better and having the language to be able to communicate in a certain way but I have been i've had a lot of those labels that I'm sure a lot of people in the workplace do, but particularly strong women, I have been labeled bossy and overly emotional and aggressive in my delivery style sometimes. And earlier in my career, that was probably very difficult for me to articulate. I've been lucky and I've spent a lot of time learning about myself and learning some language to better communicate to the people around me. This is what I'm like. And it doesn't mean I'm any better or worse at my job, but Some days I'm going to come to a one-to-one and we're going to spend 20 minutes of me crying. And it doesn't mean that anything's gone particularly badly. It just means that day I'm having a bad day and thank you for listening. And then we'll move on and I'll still be exceptional at my job.
2: Do you ever find you are in front of someone that you're being a bit emotional and that you can see in the other end that it's difficult for them to receive that? I, I have. And it's still
0: something I work quite hard on in trying to help people understand where I'm coming from with that emotion. I joke about my relationship with my current line manager that we had to learn quite early on that I needed to tell him whether I was coming to him with a problem that I needed him to solve or a problem that I just needed to air and for him to listen. And jokes have been made about the fact that lots of the women I work with have had similar conversations with their partners. (laughs) So I had to have that conversation early on to say, look, sometimes I'm going to come to you and I'm going to be a bit emotional about something And I need you to just listen and not respond emotionally to it because that's just going to make me worse. And then other times I'm going to need you to respond this way. And I've had to learn to tell people my expectations more clearly, especially where I know I'm coming up against a different type of personality.
2: I guess being explicit about what you need out of the conversation releases a lot of stress on the other person. Like, what do I do with this? But you're being very direct in... What actually you need? You wrote a very interesting article about yourself, anxiety, Mm.
1: telling a little
2: bit the story about the Christmas party organization. Yeah. So I was reading that, and it was really nice to read how you openly talk about anxiety. I think my favorite part is being when when you are being super specific with what that anxiety means to you, like the kind mm-hmm. of questions that you ask yourself. You were giving the, the example of you were organizing the, the Christmas party and you were in the cab going there asking, having a almost like a panic attack and asking yourself what people were going to think about you and very specific questions that painted a really good picture of what it is to be in that situation. So now that you're in the people team in this different environment, how is anxiety for you now? It's one of those things that never
0: really goes away. If you are an anxious person by personality or whether you actually have an anxiety disorder, whether you're on treatment or medication, it's always there. And I'm always learning more about myself and how to look after myself. I had a a difficult time at the Christmas party. In the cab on the way there, I managed to convince myself that I had given the entire team the wrong address to attend the Christmas party. No idea why that thought got into my head, but I couldn't let it go. and, And it's a very visible role. So when you make a mistake, it's You're doing it well. I feel a people team is very visible. And so that feeling that I had let people down is something that I still struggle with on a a regular basis. But I also feel like I need to embrace it because I think it's one of the reasons I'm good at my job. Complacency is not really something I need to worry about because I worry all the time. (laughs) Um, And so I think it's important to recognize that it comes with good and bad. I do have a high standard of work because I don't want to let others down. I'm very attuned to the needs of other people which can be quite wearing but also makes me good at the empathy and emotional side of my job. So I just need to remember sometimes that it, it doesn't need to be perfect. I just need to define what good enough looks like and achieve that.
2: I like the analogy of people team services in general to the comparison with a seat belt in the car, like you don't notice that the seat belt is good and functioning. It makes a job, right? So you put it and you don't acknowledge that step. But the moment you don't have it there, it's like, wait a second. this is. The... So if everything in people teams is working fine, no one will notice and that's good. But the moment something is not smooth, then you're in the spotlight. So I'm imagining that if you have a tendency to worry too much with things that might be wrong, this is a difficult position to be in. It makes me better
0: at anticipating risks, but quite often I spend a lot of time worrying about things that are never going to happen. I have learned various techniques to help me manage that. I also think that HR, and particularly in a small team, can be quite a lonely job because there is so much that, as you say, when something goes wrong... It's very visible, but probably only to the people who were involved in that moment itself because of the confidentiality. And so it can be quite difficult to reach out to people and talk through, hey, this is going on and this is how I'm feeling about it. And what would you do? Because of the nature of some of what I'm dealing with and because we might very well be dealing with things that are confidential to other people. And so I still find that quite challenging of navigating that line of building the friendships and the open relationships that I think are so critical in a workplace to make you feel safe and supported, whilst also navigating the confidential nature of what we do as people professionals.
2: What specific tactics do you use in order to reduce this anxiety, this predisposition to overthink about what can be wrong?
0: If you asked any of my colleagues, one of the words that they would use to define me is organized. And what's really interesting is that's not a natural behavior by any means, shape or form. If you asked my family whether I was organized, they would be an emphatic no. <laughs> but I have to stay organized. Otherwise, my preference over priority tends to get a little bit jumbled because I will work on the things that worry me most, not necessarily the things that are of the highest priority to the business. Writing things down and being able to check things off on a list and say that thing is now completed helps me manage things a little bit better Being very clear in our handbook and our policies and procedures, if X happens, Y is the consequence, helps me because I then don't need to worry about what will I do if X happens because I've already defined the outcome. And so it creates this persona of being very organised and very structured, but actually it all comes down from that sense of panic of what happens when it goes wrong. I am working on mindfulness. The more stressed I am, the more I struggle with it. And I, I think... It's one of those catch twenty-twos, but have done some sessions with the fantastic team at Aliva already and we signed up a couple of months ago and have already found myself using some of the tools and techniques around mindfulness and five four three two one and box breathing and, and that kind of thing to just allow me to focus on what's happening right now rather than what might happen 10 or 15 steps down the line if lots of different circumstances
2: combine. Was this your your first time going to therapy?
0: No, I, I will be honest and say I've been in and out of therapy for quite a long time, but it's probably the most positive experience I've had of it. I think, bizarrely, because it's a benefit from work and in pitching it to the business as well, we've talked a lot about the positive commercial impact for the business of having these mental health tools and support in place. I think I'm finding myself more engaged with it than, you know, as I mentioned, I was in big corporate and I was really struggling. And and I actually had to take two months off, signed off sick from a mental health perspective and was referred to specialist care through the NHS But it's a very different experience. I'm sure anybody who has been lucky enough to get that NHS referral knows that the the prioritization is different, the approach is different, and there's also a stigma attached to it when you know that you're in therapy because you can't work. So I found it a lot more successful this time, but I also think it's because I'm 10 years older than the last time I was in therapy and I know that much more about myself. It's challenging coming to it cold.
2: What made you not be able to work? That sense of worry
0: that at the moment I'm able to turn into a positive motivator and a positive force became an overwhelming sense of panic and I spent so much time worrying about what could go wrong that I just fell into complete inaction because any step would potentially Go wrong, and paralyzed. so I, I just exactly paralyzed. It became completely paralyzed, and I think that I did have a challenging relationship with the team around me at the time, and and a, a challenging personal circumstance. So I felt very isolated at that time. I think the the breaking point for me and one of the last times I can remember being in work in that environment is I had to take a two hour lunch break, and then I took spent an hour and fifty five minutes on that lunch break crying down the phones to the Samaritans. At which point I thought, this isn't healthy, <laughs> it's it's not right, and I need to do something to prioritize myself. And a week later I was signed off, and two months later I was packing my bag to go backpacking.
2: Mm, I hear that acceptance is very important in the process. Mm. So having walked the path that you walked, and knowing what is to be at a level of anxiety that you actually can't work anymore but you're still saying that you still feel anxious and still navigate those emotions how do you know where is the bearable and I'm reaching the line i think the
0: word that you used paralysis is is something that i have come to notice as a warning sign for me If my anxiety is bubbling away in the background but I'm still managing to get things done and I'm still relatively happy with the content that I'm producing in my work and the relationships that I have in my personal life, then for me that's something I can accept. At the point where I start to feel like I can't move forward, I know that's when I need to start worrying about myself. My family refer to it as my ostrich moment where I stick my head in the sand and Mm -hmm. isolate myself for a period of time. And I now have a very strong group of people around me who notice when I am going into an ostrich moment and will help pull me out of it because I don't always notice that I'm doing it myself. But it's really important for me for them to go, actually, do you know what? I haven't heard from you. You've been a little bit isolated. Is everything OK? I just thought I'd check in. Do you want a coffee? Just to pull me out of my shell a little bit. And the moment I start talking about things and I start, again, to use your word, accepting where I am, I feel much more positive about things and i can start to
2: move forward i guess it's really nice to have an environment and support from people that actually know you and know your tendency your coping mechanism and they can identify that and help you without you asking for help as it might be a bit difficult in that moment You were saying implementing Oliva was one of the steps that came from your personal experience. So what other initiatives are you creating?
0: We have a quite a long contractual week at Flatfair. We've got a 40hour week, but we have a wellness allowance and a well-being hour for each individual every week to use that and then we publicize that quite heavily to make people aware that something that's there i think benefits packages particularly around well-being and mental health people know that they're there but sometimes there's a caution about utilizing them and so promoting do you know what? yes i've gone out and got a massage this week with my wellness allowance because it was a tough week or i personally get my nails done because that makes me feel good about myself once a month um but really i think a lot of the well-being Comes from the things that aren't initiatives. It's the environment that you create through your habits and the, through your day to day interactions. And I feel that as a sole people and talent person within a business and one of only 30, you can influence that quite strongly just through your behaviours. And so while we do have lots of initiatives and I talk about them a lot, it's also about the day to day and the things that don't go under a benefits policy or a handbook procedure or process.
2: What are the biggest challenges that you are facing when trying to improve mental health at work?
0: I really struggle with the increasingly remote nature of business, both at Flatfair but more generally as well, seeing someone for 2 or 3 minutes in the office you are much more likely to pick up on their emotional state than you are. If there are some individuals that I work with that I will probably only see in and all hands every two weeks, on a call with 30 other people, there's no one-to-one interaction, and it's therefore very challenging for me to get a read on them. It's much more difficult to reach out, I think, if you have to send someone a message to say, do you have five minutes for a call? than it is to just walk past someone's desk and say do you want to grab a coffee and so that's something that I am still struggling to navigate for somebody who can tend to isolate themselves as well I worry that that's also what may happen to other individuals that they are more isolated they have their own ostrich moments and it will go unnoticed because you can't see that when people's cameras are off and that side of things as well so it's one of the things that I find personally very challenging and I think it's going to be one of the most difficult things that we will need to adapt to as well.
2: What are you doing to overcome that challenge of being remote? At
0: Flatfair, we encourage people to come together at least once quarter so that we actually see everybody. We are tending to shy away from a fully distributed model where nobody sees anybody because we do feel like it's so important to have those relationships built in person. I am also working with line managers to make sure that when they are doing their team stand-ups... That they are getting the most out of it, and that it's not just simply what are you doing with your day, but also how are you feeling and what are tools and techniques that you can use in order to solicit that information. Because particularly in British culture, if somebody asks how are you doing, you're more than likely to say, I'm good thanks. And you? Well, even if it's you're having the worst possible day imaginable, there's a automatic polite response. So getting past that polite response is something that we work on. We also ask our employees how they're doing so we do engagement surveys pulse surveys we use a tool that checks in with people once a week just to see how they're feeling and then the rest I think is just about keeping your eyes and ears open and creating an environment where if somebody spots something they can come to me and say can you can you just keep an eye on x or I'm not sure about so and so can you just check in that they're okay and that There's that trust that that's not necessarily going to create any drama. It's not going to create anything formal. And for them to know that there's always someone that they can come to, that they don't have to fix it themselves if they think that a member of their team is struggling.
2: In your article that you wrote, you speak about how a condition can be very different from one person to the other. And I'm hearing that many people, when they speak about experiencing anxiety or depression, and they need to make changes, how for them is better to do like baby steps rather than a massive change. And I'm hearing for you, it was the opposite, making a drastic change rather than baby small steps was way more beneficial for yourself.
0: Yeah, I think it comes back to this sense of, is it good enough? When I do baby steps, I will then convince myself, well, but maybe if I'd taken a slightly bigger baby step, it would be that little bit better. And am I doing enough baby steps or is this baby steps at a fast enough rate? And how do I compare to other people? And so if I take myself out of that by doing something that's drastically different. I feel like I remove the pressure from myself to compare myself to others because I'm following my own path and I don't have to think about what should I be doing and what could I be doing. It'll just be a rip-the-band-aid moment off and I'm doing it and there's less time for over-analysis that way. Mm. So it works for me. But yes, absolutely, I I think a lot of people would find it you know and I did too it was a terrifying experience but a terror that was probably good for me at the
2: time yeah I heard from you lack of self-confidence in many different areas how do you overcome or work on this self-confidence working to lists helps me because
0: being able to tick something off and knowing that I've achieved that thing removes that question of was it enough was it good enough was it what someone else was expecting me to produce so setting very clear expectations clear definitions of done to to borrow some language from our software engineering team so that helps I think having an honest and transparent relationship with line managers to say that I am going to need you to praise me. No matter how senior I get in my career, I will always be someone that needs external validation. So I need performance management structures. I need you to score me on a rating of one to 10 because that hard data is much easier for me to
2: acknowledge than the day-to-day, oh, well, I would tell you if you were doing something wrong. That's a great example because many people struggle with like what people are going to think if I openly say i need positive reinforcement it's 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 difficult to explicitly ask for that absolutely
0: one of my more recent managers not in my current job but previously he and i learned a lot from each other because we did a number of personality assessments as part of the team organizational design and what we came to realize is the more assessments we did the more we realized that we were complete opposites on pretty much every metric we were measuring every behavior every competency we were completely different i am an individual who if you're not telling me whether something's gone right or wrong i will assume it's gone horribly wrong he is an individual that will never give you feedback unless something's gone wrong and we had to build this framework where we said actually if we just behave in exactly the same way that we do with everyone else we are going to hate working with each other and that's that doesn't mean that either of us are wrong but we just need a framework and so every now and again I would reach out to him and say look I'm not sure how I'm doing on this can you just kind of give me some pointers is it good good enough you know, it'll do, could I do better? I need you to just kind of give me a bit of a signpost. And he would make more of an effort to reach out with that proactively. But I think if we hadn't have learned that about each other earlier on, it would have been a very challenging relationship to navigate because we just wouldn't have had a common language.
2: I think it's a great exercise every time there is a new working relationship to work on the The foundations of the relationship and making super explicit these kind of things can prevent so many bad paths, right? I remember when I I was working in my previous company, I just joined and my manager asked me, how do you like to be recognized? I was like, huh? That's an interesting question. And I think it's so powerful in an onboarding to make sure that every leader asks their reports how do you like to be recognized because not only not everyone likes to be recognized the same way right and i think that's a teeny tiny example and what you are showing now is even like more in detail
0: in my last company we actually ran personality profiling across the business and so we we ran a a big five personality tool across almost 100 people. I was very fortunate to lead that project, which was great, because then I got to debrief every single profile. So I felt like I knew every single member of the business very, very well. I think one of the real benefits of that is it gave us a language to talk about what we needed in a way that wasn't emotionally biased. Because we were talking about psychology and we were talking about big five personality theory. It was fact, it's science. It's not me saying I'm needy and therefore I want X from you. It's me saying my personality profile means that I have a tendency to be like this. I want you to be aware of that. What, what are your tendencies like? What are your risk areas? Where do you want me to kind of be aware that you may behave in a certain way? Where Are we likely to bang up against each other and rub each other up the wrong way? And being able to talk about that in a way that wasn't an admission of fault or Mm. failure or a development need even. It was just, this is who I am. And it's probably not going to change, but we can all have different tools to learn different behaviours and to apply different responses, depending on what's appropriate. That was very empowering. And I think it's probably one of the things that's really helped me articulate who I am as a person and my preferred work style, while still recognising that there's different ways of flexing it.
2: I'm hearing this tool help you normalise the way you are and accepting yourself. Therefore, being more comfortable asking for different ways of working so you can be in a, an environment and set up that you thrive in.
0: Absolutely. And I think what was really powerful for me is being able to recognize that things that for a long time I had thought of as weaknesses were risk areas that I could mitigate and things that I could turn into strengths if dealt with in the right way. If I'm going to worry, I'm I'm probably never going to be able to let that go away. But not allowing those worries to take me over, using it to be more risk averse, using it to be better at compliance and documentation that is not something that I would naturally want to do, but it, it removes that fear. It really empowered me to feel like there's nothing wrong with any of these behaviours, so long as you bring self-awareness and an ability to recognize where those behaviors may not be the best approach for a particular circumstance.
2: Just to wrap up, what Mm -hmm. piece of advice would you give our listeners to become more inclusive and allowing people to bring their whole self to work?
0: I think I would probably have two pieces of advice. One is about developing your own self-awareness. Who are you as an individual? How are you perceived? as an individual and letting people know that about yourself having that conversation about yourself is for me the most important thing of building trust and it's what I try to do all the time and the second is to recognize that everybody is different everyone is going to respond to different things in their life in a different way and that there isn't that right or wrong that you may expect there to be there's always a spectrum and the more that you can build your understanding of where someone is on that spectrum and how that affects them day to day I think the more empowered you are to support them with their mental
2: health and well-being Hannah it was a pleasure having you in this podcast
0: thank you so much for having me I say it's so important for me to be there and letting people know it's safe to have the conversation so thank you for giving me an opportunity to share my experiences with
2: everybody as well Take care. Bye now. Bye.
1: This episode of Mental Health at Work was hosted by Maite Otero, produced by Billy Cragen, and brought to you by Oliver. proper mental health support for the whole team. Thanks to Hannah for encouraging her team to overcome their British politeness and manage their ostrich moments. If you're a fan of the podcast, you can like or subscribe to Mental Health at Work in all the usual places. And if you really want to help us beat the podcast search engine algorithms, you can also leave us a review on Apple or Spotify, preferably a positive one. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.